Well, again, good morning, and welcome to Grace Bible Church on this first Sunday after Easter Sunday. If you were here last week for Easter, you know that uh, I said Easter Sunday, it's been compared to uh, a pastor's Super Bowl Sunday. And so if Easter Sunday is a pastor's Super Bowl Sunday, then what does that make this week? It's like maybe Pro Bowl Sunday? It's like the Sunday that some people tune in, but not everybody. Um, but um, yeah, in, in many ways, many pastors take the week after Easter Sunday off for vacation. It's a good vacation time. But uh, speaking of vacations, back in February of this year, I read an article in which the author was arguing that the Monday after the Super Bowl should be a national holiday. Uh, that the Monday after the Super Bowl should be a national holiday and the article quoted a professor at Georgetown University who said the Monday after the Super Bowl, while it hasn't risen to official status of a national holiday, there has been research done to conclude that it's one of the most unproductive days on the calendar. <laughs> it's just an unproductive day on the calendar. And so the, the author is arguing because it's so unproductive, let's just take the Monday after the Super Bowl off. Um, that's hilarious, and it's probably very, very true. Um, so if Super Bowl Sunday, or the Easter Sunday is a pastor Super Bowl Sunday, then I began thinking to myself this week, you know, maybe I need a vacation. And then I began thinking to myself, well, I wonder what Jesus is doing right now after, because it's really, Easter Sunday is about him, right? And so I began thinking to myself, well, wonder what Jesus is doing right now. Is Jesus on vacation? I mean, what's he doing at this exact moment? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Like, what is Jesus doing right now? The Bible tells us that after the resurrection, he appeared to all of these people. We saw that last week in 1 Corinthians 15. Then he ascended into heaven. But now what? Is Jesus just kind of leisurely kicking back, waiting until the time for his second coming? Or what is Jesus doing right now? Do you envision Jesus, as the song says, in the Father's house, with the big, big house with lots and lots of rooms, a big, big table with lots and lots of food? Maybe he's in his big, big yard where he can play football. Is that what Jesus is doing now? Is he, and if Jesus is playing football, by the way, what jersey is he wearing? It's certainly not a Cowboys jersey because they're, they're not doing well enough. Um, but what is Jesus doing right now? It's an interesting question, and to answer that question, I want to invite you to open your Bible to the book of Hebrews. Uh, now, uh, we're going to do something a little unique here this morning. We normally, on a Sunday morning, we're working through a book, we're working through a passage, and we're just kind of going verse by verse. Uh, but what we're going to do this morning to answer that question, what is Jesus doing right now, we're going to be all over the book of Hebrews. So we're going to stay in the book of Hebrews, but we're going to be all over the book of Hebrews this morning. So get ready to turn. And you can see the list of passages we're going to look at at the top of your outline. And there on your outline, we're going to look at three questions this morning. We're going to ask ourselves, first of all, where is Jesus right now? Then number two on your outline, we're going to ask, what is Jesus doing right now? And then number three, we're going to ask, well, what difference does this make? 
And so grab your Bibles, open up to the book of Hebrews, grab your outline, and let's look first at question number one on your outline. Where is Jesus now? So after the resurrection, after the ascension, where is Jesus now? Notice Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The author of Hebrews says this, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. And he, Jesus, upholds all things by the power of his word. What I want you to notice is the last sentence there in verse 3. When he, Jesus, had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So this really simple question, where is Jesus now? We see it answered here. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. And we see this idea affirmed a number of places in the New Testament, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. Uh, Jesus right now bodily is seated in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. Even our own doctrinal statement here at Grace. If you've been here a while, you know that we recently updated our statement of faith. Our statement of faith says we believe that the Lord Jesus is now in heaven, exalted to the right hand of the Father. But what does that mean? What does it mean when the author of Hebrews says he is at the right hand of the majesty on high? What does it mean when we see Paul throughout the New Testament say that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father? What does it mean in our doctrinal statement when we say he's exalted to the right hand of the Father? What does that mean? That particular phrase, at the right hand, in the first century Jewish culture, really described a place of honor and authority. If you're to summarize that phrase, at the right hand, it's the place of honor and authority. And so when Jesus ascended to the right hand of God the Father, he's given this place of honor and authority. This is why Paul can say, his is the name above every name. This is his name of honor. This is why Jesus in Matthew 28 can say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He's at the position of highest honor and highest authority over all things in heaven and on earth, over the spiritual realm and physical realm. Simply put, Jesus is in charge. And so as we look at number one on your outline, that question, where is Jesus now? He is in heaven. He's at the right hand of God the Father as the exalted one who has honor and authority over all things in heaven and on earth. But what does that mean? Or really a question you could ask is, number two on your outline, what is Jesus doing now? As he's now in this position of honor and authority in heaven and on earth, what is Jesus doing with 
that position of highest honor and authority. And to answer that, I want you to look at number two on your outline. And this is where we're really going to start flipping pages in the book of Hebrews. So get ready. Flip over first to Hebrews chapter three, verse one. What we're going to do this morning in the book of Hebrews is we're really going to trace this idea of Jesus as our high priest. Jesus as our high priest, the high priesthood of Jesus. Jesus there in the position at the Father's right hand, the position of honor and authority. One of the themes you see woven throughout the book of Hebrews is this ministry Jesus has as the high priest. For example, notice Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Jesus here seated at the right hand of God the Father, the position of all authority, all honor. He's now functioning, the author of Hebrews says here, as our high priest. But again, what does that mean? To explain what that means, let's think about the human high priests in the Old Testament. So in the nation of Israel, for the worship of the people of God there in Israel, uh, God established priests and the priesthood. And there was a high priest, and the high priest was really the main mediator or the main go-between between a holy God and the people of the nation of Israel. And the high priest would stand before the very presence of God and offer sacrifices of praise to the one true God. But what's interesting is, as you study the priesthood in Israel, it becomes very apparent that the priesthood in Israel had very uh, serious limitations. Very serious limitations. And to look into that just a little bit, I want you to flip to Hebrews chapter 7. Again, we're going to be all over the place here in the book of Hebrews as we dive into this idea of Jesus as the high priest. But I want you to notice as we look at Hebrews 7, verses 23 through 28, the comparison and contrast that the author of Hebrews makes between the old priests of the Old Testament and now Jesus, the high priest. Notice Hebrews 7, verses 23 through 28 The former priests, this is speaking of the Old Testament priests, the former priests on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, Because this he, Jesus, did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. Did you notice the comparison and contrasts 
that the author of Hebrews makes between the priest of the Old Testament and Jesus, the great high priest. A couple of significant contrasts that the author of Hebrews makes. First of all, the high priest in the Old Testament had to offer sacrifices first for his own sins. He had to sacrifice, first of all, for his own sins, verse 27, and then for the sins of the people. Whereas the author of Hebrews draws out, Jesus is without sin, so uh, he didn't have to sacrifice for himself. A second contrast we see here is that the human priests of the Old Testament, they died off. They were just mortal men. And so they died off and they had to be replaced. But Jesus is a priest permanently. He's a priest forever. Perhaps most significantly is Jesus' sacrifice is once for all. The Old Testament priests had to make regular sacrifices, constant sacrifices. But the Bible's very clear, the author of Hebrews is clear that the blood of bulls and goats can never fully take away sin. So in contrast, uh, the sacrifice Jesus made of laying down his own life as the Lamb of God is a once-for-all sacrifice. It's done forever. So again, some amazing contrasts here in Hebrews chapter 7 about the Old Testament priests versus Jesus, the great high priest. But a final thing I want you to notice is there in verse 25. One of the things Jesus is doing as our high priest there in heaven, notice the last phrase in verse 25, he always lives to make intercession for them. One of the things Jesus is doing right now seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven in this place of honor and authority above every name with all authority in heaven and on earth given to him. One of the things Jesus does right now is he makes intercession. Our own statement of faith, again, if I can quote it, says that we believe the Lord Jesus Christ is now in heaven, exalted to the right hand of the Father, where he fulfills the ministry of intercession and advocacy as his people's high priest. Let's talk about Jesus' ministry of intercession and advocacy here for just a minute. But like we see here in Hebrews 7.25, one of Jesus' present ministries, one of the things he's doing even right now is he's making intercession for his people. Think about this for a second. It's easy just to kind of pass by that idea quickly but I really want you to pause for a moment and consider the significance of that statement. That Jesus, the resurrected one, the one seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven with constant access to God the Father, the one who's seated in a position of highest honor and highest authority, one of the things he's doing for you even now is making intercession for you. Isn't that an amazing thought? Jesus' ministry for you wasn't just over at the resurrection, but his ministry continues for you. He's continuing to minister for you. His sacrifice is once and for all, but his ministry for you continues. He's actively praying for you even right now. It's an amazing thought. 
A second thing that Jesus is presently doing for us is advocating for us. Once again, our statement of faith says, He's now in heaven, exalted to the right hand of the Father, where he fulfills the ministry of intercession and advocacy as his people's high priest. Advocacy. I want you to flip over to chapter 9 of the book of Hebrews, verse 24. Hebrews 9, 24, notice this. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered into a holy place into heaven itself. And then notice, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Jesus appears in the presence of God for us. That phrase, for us, you could translate as for your benefit or on your behalf. One of Jesus' present ministries, one of the things he's doing right now is he's appearing into the presence of God the Father for your benefit, as your advocate. You can jot down if you want to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus is our advocate to the Father. In the book of Revelation, we read that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. What's amazing is that word advocate you could translate loosely as defense attorney. As Satan is making accusations against the people of God, Jesus is there as your defense attorney. If you can imagine, perhaps, this scene in your mind, uh, Satan making accusations against you and Jesus as your advocate, as your defense attorney steps in and says, no, he's forgiven. No, she's redeemed. No, the debt has been paid. He's actively your advocate, your defense attorney when accusations are made against you. And again, just stop and think about that for a minute. Jesus, the one who is at the highest position in heaven and on earth, he's using that position to pray for you and to advocate for you, to defend you. A third idea I want us to consider this morning is... uh, when you look at a number of the early church creeds and confessional statements, a number of those confessional statements link Jesus' exaltation, his ascension into heaven with the promise that one day he will come again. And to understand this idea, I want you to flip over to chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews for just a minute, linking linking together these two ideas of Jesus' exaltation and his eventual return. Notice Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 13 says, Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, notice, he sat down at the right hand of God. We've already talked about that. But then notice verse 13. He's waiting 
from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. So Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is advocating for you. And here in Hebrews 10, 13, Jesus is also waiting for the time of his return when he will make his enemies a footstool for his feet. What the author of Hebrews is telling us is that one day our high priest in heaven will return to earth to reign as the Davidic king on the earth. One day our high priest in heaven will come to reign as the Davidic king, the king of kings and lord of lords. And as we consider his present ministry, it's also a reminder of his future return. So, number two on your outline, what is Jesus doing right now? Is he just casually, comfortably lounging back in heaven? Hardly. But we see here throughout the book of Hebrews that Jesus is ministering for you. He's praying for you. He's advocating for you. And he's waiting on the time for him to return for you. He's your high priest. But let's take a look at number three on your outline and really ask the question, what difference does this make? What difference does this idea of Jesus' present high priesthood make in our life today? How should this encourage us today? I have two other passages I want you to look at. First, flip back to Hebrews chapter 4. Thankfully, the book of Hebrews has some built-in applications for us. And we see one of these built-in application here in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in all things as we are, except without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. First of all, I want you to notice what the author of Hebrews reminds us of there in verse 15. Again, there's a a contrast being made between the priest of the Old Testament and Jesus as our high priest. Uh, The priest of the Old Testament couldn't necessarily sympathize with everybody in their weaknesses, but Jesus is different. We have a high priest who has been tempted in all things, and yet he was able to do so without sin. That in and of itself is an encouragement to know that Jesus faced whatever temptations you face, but he overcame them without sin. And then therefore, the application we see in verse 16 is, let us draw near to him. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The application, in other words, that the author of Hebrews has for us is that when you are tempted, when I am tempted, when we are tempted to give in to sin, we should remember Jesus, our high priest, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, the one who can sympathize with you. You can draw near to him. No matter what problem you're facing, no matter what sin you're struggling with, the reminder we see here is we can draw near to the one who sympathizes with us. 
We're encouraged by the fact that Jesus is there. He sympathizes with us. And then notice, he gives the mercy and grace we need in those times of need. Because he can sympathize with us, he responds with mercy and grace. The second major passage I want you to look at is back in chapter 10. As we think about how to apply this idea of the high priesthood of Jesus, notice Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Now here's the application. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Because Jesus is our high priest, because we have this great high priest over the household of God, the author of Hebrews says, let us, let us, let us. Let us draw near in faith. Let us hold fast our hope. And let us consider and stimulate one another to love. Faith, hope, and love. Again, look at verse 22. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What I want you to see here is that the author of Hebrews is talking to the community. He's talking to the church. And he's saying, listen, because you've had your heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, because your your bodies have been washed with pure water, because you're redeemed, because you're forgiven, because you're uh, made new in Christ, let us draw near, therefore, with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Let us draw near. Listen, I don't know how to explain it. I've told you this before. I I don't really know how to explain this, but... When the community of God gathers together, when the church gathers together, something very unique takes place. What happens in this room is more than just a gathering of people, but it's truly a gathering of the people of God. This is, in in many ways, a transcendent experience where Jesus as our high priest who is in heaven, but he's also with us, he's also in us, and we are in him. Therefore, we can draw near, the author of Hebrews says. So listen, a real specific application here from verse 22 of chapter 10 is we as the people of God get to exalt him as we come together as the people of God. And so perhaps an application for you is to commit yourself to a regular, ongoing gathering of the people of God for worship.
Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Second, look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Because we have confident access to God in the holy place, because we have a great high priest in Jesus, the second thing the author of Hebrews draws out here is we're to hold fast to the hope of our confession. We're to cling to the truth that we believe. Let us hold fast to the hope of our confession, to what it is that we believe as the community of God comes together under his word. Again, if you're looking for a very specific application here from verse 23, uh, let it be maybe to commit yourself to the ongoing equipping ministry here at Grace, to get involved in a Bible study, to hold fast to the confession of our hope. Third, look at verse 24 again, the third let us statement. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Because of who Jesus is, because of all he has done, because we as the community of God can gather together to worship him, the third thing the author of Hebrews has here for us is to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That word for consider means to think about, to plan even, to plan ahead of time when the church of God gathers together that there are people here who, who need love. There are people here who have very tangible needs. And one of the practical applications that the author of Hebrews has for us is as we engage with one another to look for ways to bless one another, to love one another, to do good deeds for one another. And all of this we do. Notice we draw near, we hold fast, we Consider how to love. We do this, verse 25, all the more as you see the day drawing near. As you see the day of Jesus' return drawing near, the author of Hebrews says, hey, do this all the more. We can enter into the holy place of God's presence. We have a great high priest in Jesus. We're called to, in faith, draw near together in worship. We're called to hold fast to the hope of what we believe. We're called to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So there on the back side of your outline, I've given you some application questions for you to consider as you think through this theme running through the book of Hebrews of Jesus as our high priest. But your one thing for this week, if you have time for nothing else, here's the one thing I'd ask you to do, is to take just a little bit of time and think again about this ministry Jesus has right now for you as your great high priest. And that means you can come to him anytime with your, me, with your needs, no matter what you're facing right now. You can pray to your high priest, your intercessor and advocate, and you can ask him to ask the Father to give you all the strength you need. So listen, Easter is over. My Super Bowl Sunday has passed. But what we see here in the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is not on vacation. Jesus' ministry is active, it's ongoing. Jesus, because he is the high priest in heaven, makes it possible for you to approach God at any time, for any reason, anywhere. 
So again, no matter what you're facing right now, what I want to leave you with is the encouragement, the reminder that your high priest right now is in heaven praying for you. He's advocating for you. And one day he's coming again to rescue you. Jesus sees you, he knows you, he's praying for you, he's advocating for you. All of this because Jesus is your high priest. And that's what Jesus is doing now. Would you pray with me? Father, as we think about this, as we think about the present ministry of Jesus, we're grateful that we have a high priest in heaven who has open and constant access to you. We're so grateful that Jesus, even now, is praying for us. We're so grateful that Jesus, when we sin, is advocating for us, defending us from those accusations. And so Grace Bible Church, I want to ask that in just the next moment, take some time to confess your sin, knowing that even right now, as you confess it, Jesus is advocating for you. He's defending you right now. Father, thank you for hearing our prayer of confession. Thank you for the truth of your word that says when we confess our sins, you are faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, thank you for hearing our prayer. Jesus, thank you for advocating for us. Thank you for praying for us. And now, Father, we ask that your spirit would empower us to live for you, to live as though we really believe that this is true. Help us to live knowing that Jesus, our great high priest, is actively ministering for us. Help us to live knowing that Jesus, our great high priest, has fully paid the price for our sins. Help us to live as though knowing that Jesus, our great high priest, has conquered sin and death. Father, we we thank you for the ongoing ministry of Jesus on our behalf. Thank you that because of him we can come to you. God, thank you for forgiving us, for redeeming us, for saving us, for loving us. Thank you for your son, our great high priest, in whose name we pray. Amen.